Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me, as always, is Vincent M. Wales. Today, Vince and I will be speaking with Arlene B. Englander, author of the best-selling book, Let Go of Emotional Overeating and Love Your Food. This is a topic that I can certainly relate to, as I used to weigh over 550 pounds, so we're very excited to have her on the show. Arlene, welcome. Hi, and thanks so much for having me on your show. It's really a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure having you. Thank you. Yes, as Gabe said, uh, emotional overeating is something both of us relate to. It's, uh, it's been a factor in my life since as long as I can remember. So I guess my first question for you would be, why do people do this? Why do we overeat based on how we're feeling? Yeah, what does emotion have to do with hunger? In beginning to tackle this subject, the first thing we really need to do is look at the definition of emotional overeating and how it is different from healthy eating. The definition that I use with clients, and I've used with myself, in fact, as well, is that emotional overeating is eating neither for pleasure nor for the satisfaction of hunger, but eating in a desperate attempt to distract ourselves from painful thoughts and feelings. So it's actually both qualitatively and quantitatively different from healthy, pleasurable, truly satisfying eating. And once we've developed an awareness of this, that we're actually eating uh, in a manner that is attempting to cause the process to do something that it isn't supposed to do, we're at the first very very important step towards moving forward. About a year ago, we did a show on why people use retail therapy. Do these do retail therapy and emotional overeating have a lot of overlap in their symptomology? There's a tremendous amount of overlap between uh, emotional overeating and misuse of other substances, gambling, drinking, even even pornography, even uh, being addicted to the net to the point that we're not having any real relationships. There's a tremendous overlap. And the reason that's often the case is because what's truly the issue here is that we are not managing stress in an effective way to free us to really be in the moment and present and comfortable with ourselves. So we're turning to a substance to do what we really need to learn how to do for ourselves. Speaking on, on my own history, I mean, I think I've been an emotional overeater since I was, gosh, pro- probably a preteen, really. Mm-hmm. Um, my childhood wasn't what you would call an, an exceedingly happy one. I mean, it wasn't without happiness, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of negative stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And Sorry to hear that. it seemed at the time that the, the only thing that I knew would make me happy was eating something yummy. And so I relied on that quite a lot. So you, you were using food to soothe yourself and to distract right. yourself from stress. Rather unfortunately, because at that point you weren't able to look at what was causing you distress, which was both the outside experience that was happening to you as well as what you were saying to yourself that was adding 
to your pain, which could have been exactly. negative labeling. I'm a failure. I'm no good. I'm this, that, the other, or should I should be doing this or that. He should be doing this or that, or all or nothing thinking. My world is no yeah, all good. Kinds all of those. Stuff. If you had been able at that point to have spoken to yourself, answered back in a more compassionate, logical, soothing way, and find other healthy ways to deal with that stress, then food would not have been your sole source of escape. And also, to be fair, back in those days, talking with anybody about how to deal with stress, that, that just wasn't wasn't done i hear you there was a stigma yeah it yeah. was it's totally different time mm -hmm. vin and i are both from a small town so mm. men talking about their feelings in in a small town again many many years ago because you know we're not getting any younger uh, it really wasn't heard of for me food also represented sort of a tactile memory uh, for example, one of the things that I used to do when I was, you know, very stressed out, you know, suffering from a lot of depression is I was, I would eat a sheet cake and I'd literally eat the entire sheet cake because it reminded me of birthdays. It reminded me of happy events in my life because we celebrate as, as Americans, we celebrate mm. with food. How is that connected? But even more importantly, how do we avoid that? I mean, we don't want to stop remembering our birthdays because it could trigger us eating a sheet cake. But by the same token, most of our celebrations are intrinsically linked to food. When we're aware of the difference between eating because of hunger or even eating because of appetite versus eating to escape painful thoughts and feelings, we're aware of the fact that healthy pleasure-oriented eating feels very different. We're able to sit down to slowly savor the scent, the sight, the texture, the taste, our total experience, rather than eating large quantities of food just because it's there. And very often, if we had considered those foods forbidden, there's a greater tendency to do so than there would be otherwise. I myself remember as a kid standing in front of a refrigerator and not really eating, haha, -ha, but like whittling down a cake or a pie until there was almost nothing there. And in retrospect, part of what's sad about that is that it wasn't really enjoyable. It wasn't really pleasurable. I wasn't really tuning in to the wonderful sensations that being able to really be in the present and enjoy a small quantity of that food would have provided. I, I completely agree with that. I never felt good about it. I always felt, you know, fat and worthless and stupid, both strangely enough, while I was eating, mm -hmm. um, and especially immediately afterward. Uh, you know, I'd have I'd have icing everywhere, and I'd see, you know, an empty box, and I would just feel even worse. But it seemed like for a moment it made me feel better. Now I know that you wrote this book to to help people, you know like me, like Vin, and of, and of course yourself. And in the book, you talk about a five-point plan for success. Now, if I'm getting too far ahead and you need oh, to explain no, something else, okay. please do so. But what is the five-point plan for success? Well, everything I suggest in the book, I try to suggest in a way that's easy to remember so that we can practice it, uh, it will happen, and it will become a habit. So I try to make everything easy to remember and even fun. The five-point plan I've tried to make memorable 
by using two quick questions, which I call a daily monitor. And the first question is, am I doing what's best for myself? And what's key there is the acronym SELF, S-E-L-F, which stands for, am I effectively managing stress? Am I exercising, or as I'd rather phrase it, moving in fun ways? Am I loving my food, which has to do with eating mindfully, and I present several easy strategies so that readers are able to remember how to do that on a regular basis? And am I filling up on fluids and healthy foods? Because nowadays, what most evolved nutritionists believe, and I'm not a nutritionist, I'm a psychotherapist, but uh, I do often quote international nutritional conferences and what have you. What most evolved nutritionists believe in is 80% or 90% healthy foods and 10% fun foods. So all foods are legitimate and we don't have to feel guilty and like we've blown our diet if we've, if we've eaten something that's blatantly considered nutritiously poor. The second question is, am I a light eater? Which has to do with eating during the day and tapering it off at night, evening eating can be a big challenge for many emotional overeaters. Am I a light eater means, have I gotten up early, had an active, very pleasurable day, and then taper that off to a very pleasurable and maybe even productive eat evening that I've enjoyed a great deal without necessarily engaged in eating much food at all. So am I doing what's best for myself? And am I a light eater? Covers all five points of the plan in a way, hopefully, that's easy to remember and accessible. One of the issues that I've personally had with, um, I guess you could say, a, a healthier approach to eating is that when I wake up in the morning, I'm almost never hungry. And, you know, they constantly are telling us that breakfast is the mm -hmm. most important meal of the day and everything. And I'm just like, but why do I want to put food in me when I'm not at all hungry? So for me, you know, it's like get up, you know, maybe have a coffee or something very light that's maybe not even nutritious and then have a normal lunch and then probably too much at dinner time. That's a common issue that many, many clients bring to me and many emotional overeaters confide in me and I myself experienced as well when I wrestled with issues around food. May I ask you a question? About what time do you usually go to sleep at night? Uh, typically around 10 o'clock. Around 10 o'clock. And what time do you usually eat dinner? Um, it can sometimes vary anywhere from like 6 to 7.30 or 8, 7.30 or depending eight. on what's going on. What I found with clients and with myself is when we try to shift our biorhythms so that we are active early in the day, we get up, we eat a light breakfast, and, and shifting biorhythms is a complicated thing. Usually it's hard to do that. Well, going to sleep at 10 is, is not that late, but in terms of eating and such that when we get up early in the morning and start our activities then, usually exercising early in the morning, have a very light breakfast before, have a light breakfast that's satisfying breakfast before we exercise, then get our day going, have a satisfying lunch, have dinner relatively early, and maybe if we need it, some tiny little treat. But if we allow 
three, four, five hours between finishing dinner and going to sleep, there's a much better chance that we're hungry in the morning. Unfortunately, what many people do is they consume a lot of calories in the evening. Too many of us walk into the house and one of the questions we ask ourselves is merely, well, which screens am I going to be looking at and what am I going to snack on later? <laughs> and if we really make our evenings more enjoyable, more productive, and one of the things I suggest to clients is have great books, not good books available. Something that you really want to devour, pun intended. Uh, have a lot of activities planned. Make that a really fun time of your day. A time when food is only one of many activities on your repertoire of pleasures. That if we have that gap between dinner and maybe a small snack early in the evening and going to bed, we often find that when we wake up in the morning, we actually do have an appetite. We're going to step away for a moment to hear from our sponsor. We will be right back. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Secure, convenient, and affordable online counseling. All counselors are licensed, accredited professionals. Anything you share is confidential. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you feel it's needed. A month of online therapy often costs less than a single traditional face-to-face -face session. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash Psych Central and experience seven days of free therapy to see if online counseling is right for you. BetterHelp.com forward slash Psych Central. Welcome back, everyone. We are here with Arlene B. Englander talking about emotional overeating. One of the questions that I have, just just to throw it out there, you know, I, I'm I'm over 40 years old. I've I've struggled with weight most of my life. Uh, you know, Vin is over 50 years old. He has also struggled with weight for most of his life. And I would I would venture to guess. Please don't write me angry letters, listeners. But many of our listeners have struggled with their weight for most of their lives. And as we know, our our audience is not a bunch of 18 year olds. So what would you say to all of the people that have, you know, tried and failed to resolve this problem time and time again? I mean, at what point, and, and I am being a little bit facetious here, but at what point should we just say, you know, to hell with it, I'm just going to be fat? I hope that people don't give up on working to be healthy. The best advice I could give to anyone who says, I've tried to get fitter and healthier, and I'm giving up is, Take a look at what you've tried in the past that hasn't worked and ask yourself what you've learned from that experience in order to better be able to move forward. If what you've tried was a restrictive diet, most likely it wasn't that you failed, but the restrictive diet has failed you. Many people on restrictive diets find themselves daydreaming constantly, as I did, about forbidden foods. I now will eat a small bite of one piece of Godiva chocolate like every other week or what have you when I'm, I'm at a local mall, whereas in the past, on a regular basis, and I will savor that for five minutes, I will truly love every moment that I savor that treat, whereas in the past, oh, I would stand by the refrigerator and have a whole box of chocolate chip cookies that I hardly even tasted. So the beauty of loving our food and being in the present is that we really can savor small quantities. However, when we're on a restrictive diet, very often what happens is we eat a small amount uh, of a food that we feel is forbidden, and then it's the whole 
I blew it go for broke phenomenon in which we feel badly about ourselves, we eat more of that food, we feel worse about ourselves, and we keep that cycle going until it results in a full-blown binge. When we learn how to really better handle stress away from the table and accept ourselves better and be there in the moment when we eat, savoring, enjoying, even loving our food and tuning into the degree to which we're hungry or we're full, and then giving us the wonderful, ourselves the wonderful gift of stopping just at the point of satisfaction. When that becomes a habit, then we're free of dieting, we're free of restricted boot camp plans, we've discovered control, and we've discovered real satisfaction and self-acceptance as well. Thank you so much. I would certainly not encourage that anybody, and, and I don't think Vin and I are ever going to give up being healthy. In fact, we just joined and quit a gym recently. Uh, <laughs> but, but all joking aside, I mean, I like what you said there, because it is very easy to look for reasons to not do something. And I think that many people who have tried and failed, we often try the same thing over and over again. And it sounds to me like the crux of your message is to try something different. Correct. Don't repeat the same mistakes of the past. Correct. Learn from your past experience. Ask yourself what worked and what didn't. And please have the courage to try a new approach, which has been growing in popularity and research has shown is very effective on a long-term basis, which is what you want when you want to change your habits. And in my opinion, if it isn't pleasurable, it won't be permanent. Well, that certainly makes sense, yes. Now, there are, I, I can't even begin to count how many books there are out there that are designed to help us with this exact issue by eating less, moving more, so on and so so forth. How does your book differ from that? I probably read most of what was out there, which in some ways prepared me, uh, as did my training as a Columbia University trained psychotherapist and uh, my own analysis during which time my own eating habits never came up because I didn't even realize that binging three days, fasting three days, yo-yo dieting uh, was being disordered in any way. But what I, what I found in most of the books that I read were thousands of prescriptions and proscriptions that were very hard to remember and to practice and often unpleasurable. They weren't fun. So what I've tried very much with this book is to make it not so much a what to, because yes, part of it is eating less and moving more, but more of a how to, ways to actually develop a greater awareness of ourselves and change our habits and put those new habits into effect and actually make them habitual, make, make our habits something that's permanent and something that we enjoy. I've really done everything to make it practical, pleasurable, and permanent. Wonderful. And thank you so much. Let's talk about some practical advice that our listeners can take away right now. Sure. All of us will be in social events. We, we will hang out at work events. I mean, we'll have to go to our kids' school and there'll be food. Yeah. What advice do you have for listeners who are faced with this pressure to eat unhealthy at these types of events? One of the reasons I feel that people tend to overeat at these kind of events often has to do 
with, and this is why awareness is so key, and that's a point I make throughout my work, with social anxiety, of which they may in fact be unaware, but it's a very, very prominent condition that many of us experience. And aside from some practical pointers on eating, such as don't feel you have to match with anyone drink for drink, uh, nurse a glass of water, sample a few foods on a small plate, sit down and savor them. Something I often suggest is that since a party is really all about getting to know other people and feeling better about ourselves and helping them feel better about themselves, and many of us walk into a party feeling very self-conscious and wondering what are other people thinking about me, I suggest that when we enter a party, we make a conscious effort to walk over to as many people as possible, uh, ideally three or more, and get to know them well enough so that we can give them a sincere compliment about something other than their appearance. It might be at a school event finding out about an achievement of someone's child. It might be finding more about why the teacher became a teacher. At work, it might be hearing about someone's exciting new project and letting them know how we admire them for taking on that wonderful new task and, and for the enthusiasm they're showing and, and how well they seem to be moving ahead. But when we make an effort to approach at least a couple of people and get to know them, they may be people we haven't known before, well enough to make a sincere compliment on who they are and what they're about, it takes the focus off just food and off what people are thinking about us and onto the true goal of a party, which is helping everybody feel better about themselves. So let's talk about vacations. Ah, yes. The, the best thing to do, but the worst way to eat. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've personally never been on a cruise, but boy, the stories my friends have told me about, you know, the limitless foods available you know that's already included in your price so you know you can mm. rationalize hey i've already paid for this so i might as well indulge what i referred to the i paid for it all i bought it all so i'm eating it all i'm eating it all. go ahead yeah yeah I, I understand that and of course you know it doesn't help that you know when when i was a child clean your plate was you know it's like even when you were full you still had to clean your plate because there were kids starving in some other country that apparently we could not mail the food to. But, you know, today when I go on vacations, even though it's not a cruise, I, I do like to um, go to places where I'm not going to be doing any cooking myself, or very, very little of it anyway. And going out to a nice restaurant is part of the vacation process for me. And I do... Okay, no, I, I don't really try. I, I was going to say I try to be good, but I really don't. I really don't. And I, and I don't even have a whole lot of guilt over that, truthfully. How do, I, how do I fix that? Well, I'm a real foodie, and I love the food. I've loved the food on almost every vacation I've taken. I've only been on a few very brief cruises. But um, there is no reason why loving your vacation and loving your food has to be antithetical. One of the best ways to prepare for being able to both loving our vacation, ourselves, and our food all at one time 
is if we start off with the mentality that we mentioned before, that we can savor all foods, 80% healthy, 90% healthy, 10% fun, just to the point of satisfaction, and then, and then stop. When we learn that skill and we go on a vacation, we're not subtly confronted with foods that we had formerly thought were illegitimate. And then it's, oh my God, for the first time in months, here I am with this chocolate cake in front of me. We know we could have a sliver of that cake on occasion and really savor it and be fine. So it's not that we are suddenly in forbidden territory. But what I do suggest, along with savoring our foods throughout the meal and eating it mindfully and, and really enjoying, and on a vacation, wow, it's, it's even easier because when we're there in the present, we have so much more to savor the food, the taste and texture of, of not just what's in front of us, but looking out if we're on a boat at the beautiful waves on the ocean or, or if we're in some wonderful resort location, taking in the ambiance around us and the people both at our table and walking by. So it's a wonderful place for eating mindfully and really loving the experience. But in addition, it can be helpful to place some emphasis on the activities we're going to take part on in the trip. To be up early in the morning and uh, hiking or walking or, or I've had some of my most wonderful vacation experiences walking uh, early in the morning. I, I look back to the coast of Maine. I remember that more than any meal that I had on the trip and I know I had a lot of wonderful ones. Or ski trips or tennis trips or if we plan the trip around a sport or studying, or whatever the activity might be. So food, both on vacation and on trips, ideally should just be one of our many pleasures and not the only pleasure on our plates, so to speak. Arlene, where can we find you online? I know that your book is almost certainly on Amazon. Um, what about a website? Anything else? Can we follow you on social media? My, my book is available wherever books are sold. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and uh, by going onto my website, ArleneEnglander.com, one is able to buy the book and also to read my blogs and uh, my soon-to-be-born uh, in a week or two newsletter, which I'm looking forward to writing and sharing more information on. And I'm in private practice in North Palm Beach. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And we have a favor to ask all of our listeners. If you like the show, please leave us a review, like a written one, like type out, use your words like I tell my two-year-old niece, and give us five stars because it really does help and we appreciate it. And remember, you can get one week of free, convenient, affordable, private, online counseling anytime, anywhere by visiting betterhelp.com slash psych central see you next week everyone and thanks for tuning in thank you for listening to the psych central show please rate review and subscribe on itunes or wherever you found this podcast we encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show psychcentral.com is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. 
Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. You can find more information on Gabe at GabeHoward.com. Our co-host, Vincent M. Wales, is a trained suicide prevention crisis counsellor and author of several award-winning speculative fiction novels. You can learn more about Vincent at VincentMWales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.